Have you ever wondered how to get a PhD in compliance? Well, check out this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report, where I visit with Christina Ravello. Christina began her career at KPMG, working on the Walmart account, and then went in-house with the world's largest retailer, helping them get through their compliance in Broglio. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I have with me Christina Ravello. Christina is the Deputy Director of Corporate Monitoring and Compliance at Affiliated Monitors. So, Christina, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you so much, Tom. It's an honor to be here. Uh, Christina, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? So I started out right out of college at KPMG in their forensic services practice. So kind of started out in the whole consulting um, advisory side of things. Um, And I was conducting risk assessments, um, compliance matters, investigations, anti-money laundering, just kind of a wide variety within the compliance world, um, some due diligence practices and corporate intelligence um, in different types of industries. Um, I've worked in the financial services industry, in pharmaceutical, retail, among others. So that's sort of where I got my career started. Um, And then I moved on to work in core compliance at Walmart. Um, After having Walmart be my client for a few years, they sort of brought me on board and did had held several roles within Walmart, within the compliance space, both in the U.S. and also internationally in the markets as well. Um, and also conducted risk assessments at Walmart. So just kind of a wide variety within the compliance space there. And now I am at AMI. I'm fairly new. I've only started uh, about a month and a half ago, and I am conducting um, compliance monitoring engagements there. So could you tell us a little bit about your professional experience uh, really right out of college at KPMG? Yeah, um, you know, it was a very fast-paced environment. I would say the best way, best place to really truly start your career there just to get a sense of sort of different industries that you might be interested in. So that was really neat and engaging, um, not only within different industries, but also different types of engagements, some that were sort of the consulting-based where you provided those services to clients and sort of consulted for them. But then also you would do sort of loan staff engagements where you would become in-house um, resources for different companies. And you learn how companies are really run, you know, from the inside out because you're sort of reporting to someone internally. So that was also a different type of experience um, for me to learn from and um, really rewarding from that standpoint as well. Um, and did it all within ethics and compliance for the most part for forensic practices, um, as well as some internal investigations, fraud investigations, but the majority of the bulk of the work that I did was compliance-based there as well. And what led to your leap to the corporate world at Walmart? (laughs) So I think naturally, like most of us that leave the big four, um, you sort of leave to work for clients or maybe, you know, you meet other people who have left to work for clients and they kind of bring you on board. Uh, But at KPMG, I was working on different types of um, projects for Walmart, Um, one of them being right when the New York Times article came out in 2012 and sort of the FCPA matter sort of was brought to light to everyone. They engaged KPMG to conduct due diligence reports for their third-party intermediaries. So that was sort of my foot in the door at Walmart. Um, I was, of course, on the KPMG side 
but did that work for several years. So got really to know the Walmart world from that standpoint. Um, as they continue to develop the compliance program, I moved on to help with other um, work within anti-corruption compliance monitoring. So what Walmart did was they wanted to um, implement sort of an auditing function, if you will, within their compliance function or department. Um, so they wanted to hire and, and they brought in consultants who were auditors and, and later, of course, wanted to bring in more um, auditing background individuals into the compliance function. So we would conduct monitoring of different transactions that potentially could be flagged as fraudulent or uh, violating the FCPA. So um, that is how you know I started on that project. We finished implementing it from the KPMG side and they wanted to take it in-house and they brought me on board. And it, I mean, it was a neat project, you know, at the time, it, early in my career, it was a global case. It had a lot of exposure and this would have been an international project that we would have continued implementing it in and all of their international markets. So sort of as a young professional, that definitely was something that was interesting to me, um, as well as utilizing my um, bilingual skills. So uh, I speak Spanish. I am Latina. So that was something also that was very interesting to me to sort of be able to implement that into my career. When you went to Walmart, were you based in Bentonville or were you based outside the United States? Uh, I would guess in Latin America or on other Spanish speaking country. Yeah. So I had a little bit of both. Um, I was truly based out of Bentonville, uh, but when I just was hired. We had to travel because we had um, certain deadlines, board objectives to meet to implement the monitoring program for the compliance department within a certain amount of time. So we would spend two weeks um, in an in international country and then two weeks within the U.S. So we did that for about six months. Um, so on that matter, I was kind of living on a plane in hotels in different countries, but um, based out of Bentonville, um, and later on, I got a chance to work on a project in South America in their Chile market. So I was there for about nine months. So it wasn't a full year, but it was long enough for me to sort of feel like I was living internationally. And it was a great experience. So what were uh, some of the roles? You detailed a little bit of the projects you had, but what were you had a variety of roles, as I understand it, at Walmart. You, could you kind of walk us through the progression? Yeah. So I started out in their anti-corruption compliance monitoring team. Um, like I mentioned, they sort of started this internal sort of auditing monitoring team, um, monitoring quarterly transactions for the company. Um, started out in that team, did that for a few years, and then got the opportunity to move to Chile and lead their anti-corruption compliance program there. Um, and this was a time where, you know, the company was still going under investigation um, by the DOJ and SEC, it was not complete yet. And so um, I knew that, you know, any sort of decisions I would have made at the time that would have been under review in, in the future, potentially, if at the time we didn't know if we were going to get signed the monitor. Of course, Walmart now is assigned the monitor. That's public knowledge. Um, so that was um, that was definitely a neat experience. Did that for the nine months, came back um, and came back to the core compliance team um, conducting risk assessments and not just for um, anti-corruption matters, but all of the different 14 subject matters that are covered within Walmart. So thinking about a retail company, you know, they do everything from food safety, health and safety, consumer protection, but also anti-money laundering, 
health and wellness, um, and of course, ethics, anti-corruption, um, antitrust, et cetera. So conducting those risk assessments for all courts and subject matters, um, we, and we did it for all. At the time, Walmart was sort of selling markets, buying markets, um, and emerging markets. So, but at the time, it was around like 13 different international markets. So traveling internationally to conduct these risk assessments in person, sort of having meetings with different leadership members, of the markets um, and then visiting stores. I've visited stores all over the world. So that's also a very rewarding experience as well. Um, just getting to meet people from all over. Um, from then I um, moved on to the global anti-corruption team, sort of went back to core anti-corruption. Um, and there are responsible for all things, policies, procedures, third party intermediaries, and then our data analytics around third parties. Um, so that was of course a big bulk of the program and we knew that, you know, potentially the DOJ would be looking into that. And so we definitely had some really good um, just policies, procedures and uh, controls around it. So we have pretty strong teams and just really great tone at the top around all of those matters. Um, and right before I left Walmart, I was doing business strategy for the chief ethics and compliance officer at Walmart. I only did it for a short period of time before I decided to leave Walmart, uh, but helping him, essentially, he called me his firefighter with any all things, you know, we need this ASAP. Um, can you look into a certain matter? Can we work on this presentation and so forth? So it just, it would depend on the day, but um, again, kind of really interesting seeing how the behind the scenes works when you're running a global compliance program for such a large company. I once heard uh, Dan Trujillo talk about some of the challenges he faced um, uh, or the company faced because you're literally the world's largest retailer. But I wanted to ask you, what were those challenges for someone like you who was on the ground, who had to deal with very tactical issues yet within a bigger picture of literally the world's biggest retailer? So what was that like, that experience being with such a massive company yet you know, responsible for, for individual business units or countries or stores. We'll be back with Christina after this message. We definitely had challenges. I, you know, we, we, we are the, lar- with, we were the largest. And I keep saying we, because of course I'm speaking at my time at Walmart, but um, also I worked there for so long and we did so much for the company. So um, I think the biggest thing was, finding a way to simplify a compliance program where an associate, you know, on the floor in a country, so in Japan or in South Africa, um, can execute the compliance program in a way that is efficient and effective for them, for their day-to-day, right? So their day-to-day is, um, you know, they're stalking the back um, end or, you know, what have you, we need to make sure that whatever we're implementing from a compliance standpoint was still easy enough for them to want to comply with it um, because it is incorporated into their job description or it's not this sort of additional tedious task. Um, I will say the great thing behind everything, and of course, Walmart was under scrutiny, under investigation, but um, the leadership and sort of tone at the top was always there. So I think that really helped our team in the anti-corruption space and and overall compliance to make sure that um, 
if we were asking team members, you know, from a store in China to execute something in a certain way, they knew that there was sort of a bigger goal and the company wanted to do things the right way. And so the tone was always there. Um, I think that was really helpful. Um, but yeah, I think the challenge is you're so big. How do you implement or how do you develop a compliance program on paper? And of course, in practice, that um, could easily be executable in both Mexico and Chile and Japan and the UK, right? So we would sort of develop a, a sort of broad overall compliance requirements and then tailor it by the different markets depending on the different legislations or requirements that we would have, but also then simplifying down to, okay, now Surrey Associates can execute this versus someone in the home office will execute this. So um, we just sort of had to think about the different formulas, but I think that was one of the biggest challenges. I was wondering if you could maybe talk about one or two of the projects you worked on that you were the most proud of during your tenure at Walmart. Yeah, I will say definitely, and, and this sort of started at my KPMG side, and then of course transitioned once I was at Walmart, uh, but developing and implementing the anti-corruption compliance monitoring program and team. Um, so even when when I was still there, um, the monitor had been assigned, and you know, as I'm interviewed by a monitor, you know, they're like, oh, you all, you go all the way back to when this particular program was implemented, and and I. You know, I would like to think that that program played a big role in sort of how the investigation turned out. And, in you know, because the department, you know, the DOJ, I think, saw that all the efforts that we were putting in into testing transactions and wanting to identify and, and of course, implement controls to prevent any future violations. Um, and that program had a lot to do with it. So, you know, we had accountants from the big four from all over the world. So not just here. Um, it was a large team at that time. I think there were 30 individuals or more across the globe, sort of testing transactions, selecting transactions, visiting stores, conducting different assessments and interviews. So that one was a huge one, and I was still part of it for a long time. And then the other one would have to be the time that I got the chance to go to Chile to be their market lead for anti-corruption overall, um, considering I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> and most uh, most compliance sort of professionals, um, they are within, you know, they, they're lawyers, attorneys, of course. And, and so thinking as an accountant, you know, what was I bringing to the table and what set me apart from the rest? Um, so that was definitely uh, a rewarding experience there. And of course, working in an international market, um, working 100% in Spanish, although our teams did speak English, but that's what I had to do. And, and I think that was another level of sort of a challenge for me as a Spanish speaker. Um, one thing sort of being fluent in the U.S., but a different thing. I think I read in your background, you grew up in, uh, if, if not the city of Chicago in the Chicago metropolitan area. You went to college at the University of Illinois, a, a large public school. Uh, what was it like leaving those sort of environments and going to Bentonville? Was it culture shock or was it you were working all the time and you didn't notice or something different? Um, I will say it was slightly of a culture shock for sure. Um, I lived in Chicago, you know, in, in 
in the suburbs of Chicago my whole life. Um, and of course, I went to school at U of I, which is Southern Illinois. It's a little bit different, more farmland and so forth. Uh, but moving to Bentonville, that was um, definitely different for me. But I will say the, the pride that the town and sort of I think the whole state has for Walmart was seen everywhere. So that was also pretty different and neat. Sort of like the focus is Walmart. And there's other like top two companies that are, you know, the employers there, but otherwise it would be Walmart. So just seeing the pride and then kind of like you're going to work and people are super excited that you work for Walmart and, and that's your environment hundred percent. That was also just different, but also neat. Um, and I think the accessibility, like just from a, the personal side of things, the accessibility to nature was something I was not expecting to enjoy very much, uh, but I enjoyed it a lot. Just sort of going out there, hiking, um, having that access, thinking about, you know, going through a pandemic, if I would have still been there, I think that would have been amazing. So um, we don't have as many sort of fields or mountains or slight, you know, cliffs here in Illinois. It's pretty flat. But um, and, and then I think one thing that really surprised me was that the way that I saw it was as if I were living in a suburb and I grew up in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Um, but you still had this sort of like bigger city feel where you know, we would get concerts that would come in uh, because sort of Walmart brought this to the table and um, the Walmart family was very into the arts. So also like you have a world-class museum there um, and just different festivals that were starting out. Um, so thinking about that, like I would never get that in the suburbs here. You would still have to go to Chicago to get access to that. So that was um, surprisingly pretty nice. So let's turn to affiliated monitors. What led to your moving over to AMI? Were you recruited? Did you find them? Did they find you? Did you know about them? What really led to that change? Um, this one's a very interesting story. So I I quit Walmart um, for personal reasons. I wanted to move back to Chicago. This is all pre-pandemic, of course, at the time. Working remotely was not really an option. Now we're all working remotely. Um, so I decided, you know, if I was going to move to Chicago and I had to get a new job, then I just wanted to travel for six months to a year. So I said, hey, I haven't done this sort of in my life. Let me do that now. Perfect timing. Again, this is all a month or two before the pandemic kind of started. So perfect timing for me. <laughs> um so did that and moved back to Chicago. The pandemic took place um, and I ended up just staying home because I thought, you know, like we all did, it might only take a few months. It might not take that long for everything to get back to normal. So I, I stayed home um, and next thing you know, it was a year later. So I wasn't planning on, on looking for a job yet, but I figured, you know, now it's been a year. We're not really sure when things are going to get back to normal. So I started looking for jobs. Um, and the first thing I wanted to do was to network. I, Last time I lived in Chicago was in 2015. So I wanted to network with other compliance professionals. Um, and that's what I started. And that's when I met Jay Rosen, or I was introduced to him, who, of course, works at AMI. Um, and he was just helping me, you know, get introduced to different people here in Chicago in the compliance areas. Um, and at the end of our conversation, he asked me, well, have you ever considered being a monitor, you know, doing monitoring? Um, it had not really crossed my mind at the time. I was sort of thinking, you know, I came from a big compliance program at a big company. That's naturally where I was thinking of going next. 
Um, but I had a little bit of exposure to monitoring through the FCPA matter at Walmart, um, just slightly. And, and I definitely, I, I, I knew that I would like it. It was a little bit of consulting taste to it as well, which I enjoyed in my KPMG days. So that's how I ended up at AMI, just kind of networking and, and Jay and Jay, you know, mentioned, Hey, like, would you want to be a monitor? So that's how I'm here. So um, I was going to ask you about your professional background of accounting and how that meshed with AMI, but now hearing about your professional experience, it's clear that whatever your undergrad and graduate degree are, you you have a PhD in compliance after working at Walmart. And that, um, so that really, I guess, led me to, to want to ask you, what have been a couple of the, the biggest surprises you found uh, working uh, at AMI or on the monitor side of things? Or is it really just a continuation of what you were doing, maybe sitting on the different on the other side of the table? So I, I completely agree with you with the PhD in compliance. Um, it's funny because I actually tell that to everyone. Well, I don't say PhD, but I say I went to the best university that I could have gone to for compliance programs um, with such a large compliance program at Walmart. Um, at AMI, the, what surprised me is, um, and I think it has to do with the fact that I came from such a large compliance program. At the time that I left Walmart, I think it was around 2,300 individuals across the globe just doing compliance. Um, thinking about that scale, and because that was just my world for so long now, and, and again, I'm new to AMI, but sort of the clients that we have and so forth, and just seeing how not as many companies dedicate resources to compliance um, when they should, right? And and I don't think that they don't want to. They just, it, it's not top priority at the time until it becomes top priority. And then, of course, resources are granted. Um, but I think that's one sort of taking things for granted, I guess, sometimes at Walmart, um, just because everything was easier to implement a compliance program because the tone was there at the top and um, the resources were there where, you know, not all companies have that luxury to have the resources and the tone at the top. Um, that's one. And then the other one, I think when definitely when I was um, at Walmart and thinking, you know, we were thinking, hey, we might get assigned a monitor. What is what is even a monitor? I wasn't really sure know what that entailed and so we were sort of all getting ready for what a monitor would be um at times it almost seemed like it was this big scary monster that was coming to get you and, and prove that you did something wrong and sort of catch you in the act um being on the other side of the coin now or the table uh realizing that the monitor actually wants you to succeed and they don't want you to fail and of course they will report the facts and the facts are the facts but um, they are there for you and with you to walk you along the way and to kind of help you just be compliant, right? So um, that's sort of the really nice thing to see, um, which then kind of brings me to my consulting days, right? So. so let me turn to that veiled land of the future. And I wanted to see, uh, I was really intrigued. You sort of grew up professionally um, you know, starting obviously with KPMG, then moving to literally the biggest um, FCPA, you know, compliance matter probably ever uh, in terms of the work that was done by the company. And then um, now with AMI, so you've seen a, a pretty good swath 
the evolution of compliance. And I wanted to ask you, where do you see the role of internal audit, accounting, and the financial side of compliance really going forward? Um, I really do hope that, um, you know, HR changes some of their profiles because a lot of us were, you know, like I mentioned, I left work. I was out of work for a year. And when I started to think to get back into the compliance world, um, a lot of the descriptions that you would find for compliance professionals required a JD. Um, And I'm thinking sort of to your point, I have a PhD in compliance and they'll never know. And just because we have the different algorithms through the HR systems, my resume was never going to make it to any of these places. So I just, I really do hope that they see the value that accountants bring to the table because we do think differently than attorneys do. And we think about, you know, the numbers, but not necessarily just the numbers, but making sure that the, the pieces in the puzzle fit and figuring out how they fit and sort of auditing in that standpoint. So uh, from in my, you know, from my view, that is what compliance is. You know, we need to comply with a certain law, rule, regulation. We want to make sure that we are implementing a compliance program in a way that if it's with people's job descriptions, it doesn't make their job harder so that they can actually comply with it and make it easier. Um, and then we're working together with different business units. Because compliance should never be an isolated function. It, it should, you know, be implemented within the different business units. So from that standpoint, I really do think that accountants um, bring that to the table. And I really do hope that in the future we start seeing more uh, of us and just diversity of thought within the compliance. Um, where do you see, and, and you really bring up a great point. Uh, so I'm a lawyer by profession. I certainly understand uh, that compliance started as uh, policies and procedures, written policies and procedures. It evolved quite a bit. I think the COSO 2013 framework was a critical element in that evolution. Now people talk about data, data analytics, but lawyers still don't have those skills. We're not trained on those in law school, and we don't think like that. And so that really leads me to to want uh, almost what you said, which is, for uh, compliance functions and those who hire for compliance functions realize how much broader compliance it is than written policies and procedures and the need to have not only a different set of skills or other skills, but another way to think through things. Because the way you would look at something and think of through it would be very different than the way I would. doesn't mean either one's right or wrong, but when you put those two together, it can be quite a powerful tool. Um, so that's a very long-winded way of, of asking you, where do you see compliance professionals uh, down the road, maybe 2025 or, or even beyond? Is it this uh, uh, really fracturing of different roles in compliance? Is it supplementing your compliance team with either outside experts or internal experts, or is it something different? I think it has to be a mix of sort of all of the above. Um, the, the consultants, I think, are very useful because sometimes you can get narrow-minded when you have worked in one industry. Let's say I was working in retail. That was sort of my industry. And even though retail, kind of like I mentioned, hits different uh, compliance areas, like you could, you still have privacy to deal with. And AML, you know, anti-money laundering, if they offer financial services of sorts. Um, but I believe that the consultants still can bring um, something to the table from all the different industries that they have seen for their clients. Now, within 
the internal team, we definitely do need a diversity of thought in, you know, those who are accountants, lawyers, and then the core individuals who provide um, their, like the SMEs, the different expertise. So if you're working on environmental health or environmental safety, then that is the professional that you need. You don't really need a lawyer to help you in that. You need someone that has an MPH or another degree, right? You need an engineer and so forth. So I think we really should see a compliance program that is not just comprised of attorneys, but those um, subject matter experts in their fields. And then with an intake of consultants or, you know, someone like AMI, right? We sort of do uh, assessments and so forth um, to help companies see things from outside of their narrow sort of scope and just see the big picture and then kind of help them kind of clear their windshield, if you will, from the fog that they might've been in just because they've been sitting on their own compliance program for so long. Unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but before we get there, I wanted to ask you, because you're the first University of Illinois alum on my podcast. I'm surprised well, about that. <laughs> so what was it like to, to move from the big city downstate to uh, Champaign-Urbana, and, and what was that experience like for you? Um, for me at the time, it was fun. Of course, getting out of high school, going to college, it was amazing. I would always recommend to people, especially in the Chicagoland area, because you have great universities here. We have Loyola, DePaul, Northwestern, um, Columbia. So we have great universities within the city, but I truly recommend people going to university at a sort of campus-based university where you're not part of a bigger city. Everyone that lives there is a student or, you know, professor or what have you, someone that faculty that works in the, at the university. It just gives you a different experience, I think, uh, from just growing up, sort of being independent for the first time, like you're not living at home still, you can kind of be on your own. Uh, and then just being responsible and I think just exploring what the campus has to bring. I think sometimes we forget that, at least at U of I, we had world-class uh, faculty on there, right? And even students at the time that I was there, um, that, well, now he's the previous president of Ecuador, was not but um, he got his, I believe, his PhD at U of I. And so, like, I got a chance to meet him when he was a student, uh, but we knew that he was going to be president of the country soon. And so just having that access to sort of um, just world-class faculty and potential students, I think, makes it a big deal. And, and uh, for me, it was definitely one of the fun memories from U of I, just the network and the friendships that you make. Unfortunately, uh, we now are at the end, but before we leave, I wanted to ask you if anyone had any questions about any of the topics we've raised today, find out more about yourself or AMI and your role at AMI, uh, where could they go? Absolutely. They can reach me at in, in LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn, we all have it and it's easier to sort of send messages there and so forth. But yeah, Christina Ravello um, in LinkedIn, or they can check out our affiliatedmonitors.com website. We are also there and all our contact information is there. Well, Christina, this has been a lot of fun visiting with you. And I hope that uh, perhaps in the future, I might be able to call upon you to uh, come back on the podcast. So Absolutely. thanks very much. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks for listening to this episode. I'm extraordinarily pleased to announce that my latest book, The Compliance Handbook 2nd Edition, is now available for immediate purchase and delivery. It's purchased or rather published by LexisNexis. 
We're going to link to it in the show notes. So please check out what I humbly call the best single volume author book on the nuts and bolts of compliance. Also, on this month on the Compliance Life, I feature Asha Palmer. Asha is the CECO at Conversant. She's got a great journey to the CECO chair or the CCO chair, and I know you will enjoy this month on the Compliance Life. Also, check out one of my newest podcasts, the ESG Report, as that's become one of the most ubiquitous terms in the corporate world. Every compliance professional needs to understand their role in ESG. And finally, greetings and felicitations, a commentary podcast where I take up a wide variety of topics. My first guest is Dr. Ben Lockwood, and we look at where we are in the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks for listening, and the FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.